there. You're listening to the Cary Church Podcast. We at Cary seek to be flourishing communities of hope, transformed by God's love, following Jesus and serving in God's world. To find out more on how to connect with us, go to cary.asn.au. The reading this morning is from Acts 4, verses 1 to 21. Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name do you do this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them to speak, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him, you be the judges. As for us, We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Thank you, Rosemary. 
My name is uh, Mark Lilly, and I haven't been here for a little while, so uh, it's good to see some uh, faces that I know, but it's good to see lots of people that I don't know as well. Um, I serve as the uh, pastor just down the road uh, at our Forestdale campus. So greetings from Forestdale. It's great to be here uh, today and having an opportunity to continue sharing on this series following Jesus in the book of Acts, Peter's Instagram moments. I think I was going to give this message a title today, and I, I often don't, but I'd call it Messy People Making Disciples in a Messy World. Messy People Making Disciples in a Messy World. Just before we look at today's passage, um, I just want to take us back a few weeks because today actually follows on from the message that Dave uh, spoke a few weeks ago. You might recall if you were here a few weeks ago and heard Dave's message that in chapter three, Peter and John visited uh, the temple as they often would. They'd visit the temple to, to worship, to pray. And as they, as they were entering the temple, like, the temple, they stumbled across a man. And this man had been carried to the temple daily for, it doesn't say how long, but he'd, he, he would beg in the temple, but he had to have people carry him to the temple because this man was lame and uh, he, made it, he, he made his income by, uh, he survived by begging at the temple. And Peter and John come into the temple and this man asks for some money and, and Peter says, I don't have any silver and gold, but what I have, I'll give to you. And he, and he heals the man. He, he tells the man, rise up in the name of in the name of Jesus of Nazareth and walk. And this guy starts jumping around, um, thanking God, praising God. And everybody was familiar with this man. He was a man who was well known to the Jews who frequented the temple. Uh, he, he, he begged there daily. And when they saw this man jumping around, praising God, they recognised that a miracle had occurred in their presence. And they all started gathering around Peter and John at that point just to see what, what's going on here. And Peter seizes on this opportunity and he preaches a sermon, an amazing sermon. We'll come back to that and touch on that briefly, briefly a little bit later. So moving forward to chapter four, uh, which is our reading for today, we read about a group of religious leaders, priests, captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees. They, they were like temple police. They, they kept order in the temple precinct and they part, part of their role was to, to a bit like a modern day police force I guess just maintaining good law and order within within the temple precinct and they'd been watching this unfold they watched Peter and John heal this man they saw this guy jumping around making a big commotion because he'd never walked before this man had been lame since birth and so they saw all of this unfolding and so they they confront Peter and John and they confronted them for a number of reasons. Firstly, Peter and John actually in their sermon made some very hard-hitting, very pointed, audacious claims that, that were pointed at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, as well as all of Israel. And that got these guys offside straight away. Secondly, it was the role of the religious leaders to teach in the temple precinct. So John and Peter, by preaching this sermon, they were usurping their authority. Thirdly, Peter had been preaching about Jesus being raised from the dead and the Sadducees didn't believe in a final resurrection from the dead. So they took exception with that particular point in Peter's sermon. And finally, they were just worried that, that Peter and John were going to um, disturb public order they might cause unrest and that they might 
it might lead to the spread of Christianity. And it did. It did. They had cause to be concerned. So not surprisingly, these guys went up to Peter and John and they arrested them and they gave them, in, they gave them a free night in jail in the hope that they would perhaps cool their heels a little bit. But the following day, they were, they were brought before the temple court. And the temple court consisted of the most senior leaders in Israel, including the high priest himself. There are a lot of very powerful and very intimidating figures that made up the temple court. They probably sat in a semicircle, sat in a semicircle and Peter and John got, got to stand right in the middle of this semicircle. And this is a pretty confronting scenario. A courtroom can be a really intimidating place at the best of times. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a courtroom. I've been in a courtroom a number of times um, and not as, not as a defendant, um, but I've been in a courtroom on a number of occasions and uh, I remember when I first had to do that, I found it so scary, such an intimidating place to be. And here Peter and John were standing on trial before the most powerful religious leaders in the nation of Israel and they asked them this question, by what power or what name did you do this? And at that point, Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit and we don't know quite what to expect. We're told in verse eight, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he responds with this incredible courage. This incredible courage just, just overcomes, washes over Peter. And he tells the court that the lame man was healed in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one that you crucified, but the one which God rose from the dead. So Peter is boldly pointing his finger squarely at the religious leaders for rejecting and killing Jesus. Keep in mind, he's on trial in front of the most senior religious leaders and he's speaking with that level of boldness because he's been filled with the Spirit. And Peter wraps up his response in verse 12. And he tells them that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. We just sung that song, there is no other name. So Peter here finishes on a hope that's a little bit more hopeful. He tells them salvation's available. Salvation's even available for those who hung Jesus on a cross and crucified him. But even this claim would have really irked and got on the, under the skin of these religious leaders because they saw Jesus as a revolutionary upstart. They didn't see Jesus as the son of God. So this idea that salvation was available through Jesus was just something that would have really irked them deeply. Peter and John hadn't actually broken any laws. They caused a bit of a disturbance, but they hadn't broken any laws. So all the, all the religious leaders could do was give them a little bit of a slap on the wrist. They told them to stop speaking about Jesus, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John were two men whose lives had been radically transformed, completely changed by Jesus. Jesus was the one who commissioned them in Matthew 28. He sends them out, go and make disciples, go and make disciples. Spread the gospel. So there's no way that these two guys are about to stop preaching about the one who has totally and radically transformed their lives 
in the way that he had. So at that point, the religious leaders had no other option but to let them go because if they hadn't, it might have caused a, a riot, a disturbance because the people had responded so positively to Peter's sermon. This was a significant moment, an Instagram-worthy moment, if you like, for Peter, because this was actually the first time that the church had experienced persecution. Not really something you want to Instagram, but this was the first time that the church had experienced persecution. Peter probably had a few people poking fun at him on the day of Pentecost when he preached a few people you'll recall from the day of Pentecost, I'm sure these people are just drunk. What's this weird language that they're speaking? But he hadn't faced persecution, hadn't faced any opposition. And here he was now in the midst of persecution, opposition, he's in jail. And keep in mind, these, these religious leaders um, that, that Peter and John were standing before probably included some of the same religious leaders that had crucified Jesus. I wonder if deep down in his heart, Peter had dreaded this moment, the moment where he might himself face persecution and opposition. I wonder if he, I wonder if he doubted himself how he might respond when, the, when the, the heat got turned up a little bit. Because as, as you recall, Peter was the one that denied Jesus. But when the time comes for Peter in Acts chapter 4, he responds with incredible boldness. His initial failure didn't determine Peter's final destination. And that's a good thing. That's an encouraging thing for all of us. Now, this series, it's about following Jesus in Acts. Oh. Sorry, my iPad just popped over to Siri for some reason. I must have said something. Um. <laughs> um, so this series is about following Jesus in Acts and we see Peter and John and the disciples and many other people following Jesus being disciples being disciples and we see lots and lots and lots of people saying yes to Jesus as they went about making disciples so the book of Acts is, is about being and making disciples when I became the pastor at uh, Forestdale, which was uh, four years ago now, actually, four years, it's gone by pretty fast, but I was invited to this two-day conference in Melbourne and the, and the conference was called Emerging Evangelists, Emerging Evangelists. And I had never considered myself to be an evangelist and this trip confirmed my suspicions. We heard from some amazing presenters and um, they spoke about evangelism and sharing the gospel in 21st century Australian context. But the thing that really, really stood out to me was the people who attended this conference. These are people that were just naturally gifted at, at sharing with others, at making disciples. And I was just blown away by these people, how they just they naturally kind of stumbled into opportunity after opportunity of sharing their faith with other people. And there was this one woman in particular, one woman in particular. I had a conversation with her and I, I shared a little bit about Carrie and our context and, and how we get to uh, journey with people over, over a long period of time, people who don't yet know Jesus, opportunities to make disciples. And then she shared something of her own story. This lady worked in, 
way out of Sydney and, and she had a four to five hour train trip uh, commute into and out of Sydney every day. And I said to this lady, man, that must be absolutely terrible. I can't imagine sitting on a train for four to five hours every day. And she said, no, that's, that's actually the favourite part of my day, every day, every day. This lady said to me, I get to sit next to people for hours on end. And it's amazing how many opportunities the Holy Spirit actually gives me to talk to people about Jesus. And I even get to pray with people on the train. I was just blown away by this lady, her, her enthusiasm. And, and I grew up in uh, the 80s and going to Perth and you kind of see people standing on street corners and preaching and, 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 and there was kind of something about that didn't really gel with me. But I, I wondered if I might bump into some of those kind of people at this conference and, and, and there, there weren't, weren't any of those kind of people at this conference. You know, there's kind of that weirdo kind of factor. But this lady... This lady, the opportunities that, that, that the Holy Spirit created for her was just incredible. And this conference confirmed to me that I'm not a gifted evangelist. I couldn't sit next to, I could sit to, next to somebody on a train for, for 12 hours and still not find that kind of opportunity that this lady did. But what I can do is I can be who I am. And I'm good at building relationships with people. I'm good at getting to know people, at listening to their story, at connecting with people. I can live out my life in accordance with the gospel. I can live as a follower of Jesus. And, and people ask questions, what, why do you do that? Why do you choose to live in that way? And then I can talk about Jesus when, when the opportunity arises. As followers of Jesus, each one of us has our own unique Jesus story. And we each have people in our lives, in our circles of influence who need to know about Jesus. People who haven't experienced the goodness of God in their lives. People who don't know what it is to be loved unconditionally by an incredible God who breathes them into existence. But it can be really challenging at times, if I'm honest, to, to talk about the gospel with people. It can be really challenging for all of us at times, I'm sure, unless you're, unless you're a really gifted evangelist like the people I've just spoken about at this conference. It can be a challenging thing. But Acts 4, Acts 4 reminds us that it's possible to make disciples even in a really messy world, even in circumstances that seem just totally unconducive to sharing God's love and bringing to people to Jesus. And God uses imperfect people in the process. At the start of Acts 4, um, Peter and John are arrested and things don't look like they're travelling very well at this point in time. So perhaps it comes as a bit of a surprise to us when we read in verse 4 of chapter 4 that many people believed and the church grew to about 5,000. We read in Acts 2 that the church that the church started off with a bang. It was about 3,000 people responded to Peter's sermon on Pentecost. And now we read in Acts chapter four that another 2,000 people have been added. That's a huge response, especially when we look at some of the factors that on the face of it seem to be working against Peter and John. Here are some of the factors that seem to be working against them. Now, this might sound like a really weird one, 
but I was looking at this through 21st century lenses. The first thing that I saw as something that potentially might work against them in this scenario was Peter's sermon in chapter three. It was an amazing sermon and he got an amazing response, but parts of his sermon were just incredibly harsh, incredibly hard hitting. He's just performed this incredible miracle and all these people are flocking around to see what's happened. He's got a captive audience and you're expecting people to present the gospel. Tell them about how much God loves them. And in verse 13, he says, you handed Jesus over to be killed. You disowned the holy and righteous one. You killed the author of life. That's not how I would personally start a come to Jesus kind of sermon. I kind of read that and I thought, man, you need to, you need to consider going uh, and enrolling in a preaching course or something, Peter, because nobody surely is going to respond to a sermon like that. But respond, they did. Respond, they did. 2,000 people or thereabouts, 2,000 people responded to Peter's sermon. Secondly, in verse one, we read about the religious leaders. They came and interrupted Peter mid-flow, mid-sermon. It says this in verse one, they came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. You'd think that this kind of interruption might distract people, take their focus, take their attention away, put them off, but it didn't. Imagine if somebody over there just stood up right now and said, Mark, that's just absolute nonsense. Or somebody over here said, Mark, can you just clarify that for me? And just, you know, a level of interruption or or just came out from the side there and just started, uh, you know, chatting away in my ear. That's, That's the scenario I imagine unfolded here. The rest of you, the rest of you would probably lose focus at that point, lose interest potentially. Peter may well not have even got through the entire sermon. The best part may have been yet to come. In spite of this, in spite of this interruption, thousands of people said yes to Jesus. Thirdly, this was the start. The third factor is this is the start of opposition and persecution in in the church. Peter and John were thrown into jail. And these religious leaders, they had power. They had authority. They had influence. And they were definitely prepared to use it. These were the guys that likely put Jesus to the cross. As a, as a recent example, Jesus himself. Surely you'd expect that if you face the prospect of being thrown into jail or potentially worse, that might kind of lessen the response. But there's a significant response right under the noses of these religious leaders, right under their noses. In fact, in the book of Acts, the gospel seems to flourish, flourish. Many, many disciples are made in the face of opposition. And as the opposition becomes increasingly harsher, the church just continues to grow. People continue to say yes to Jesus. Yes to Jesus. Fourthly, Peter himself. Now, Peter failed in the Gospels. We all know that. He denied Jesus. And as Brian shared last week, he kind of missed it in terms of the ongoing inclusion of the Gentiles in the church. It was kind of something that he vacillated on. And we read in Acts chapter 4, the, the religious leaders, when they were, when they were confronting uh, Peter and John, when they were standing in front of the court, 
It says they recognised that they were unschooled men. They were ordinary men. But in spite of Peter's failures, in spite of his shortcomings, God used him in incredible ways to spread the gospel. Any notion that the successful spreading of the gospel is linked to the success of the people who are sharing the gospel is totally undermined in this story. Peter's lack of training, his lack of ability, his lack of confidence, his failures, none of that stuff prevented Peter from sharing Jesus with others. If Luke hadn't told us, if Luke hadn't told us that the church grew to about 5,000 people after Peter's sermon in this story, we might look at these factors and kind of conclude that surely there couldn't have been much of a response. When you, look at, when you look at this scenario, when you look at the surrounding circumstances, when you look at the things that were potentially flying in the face of that, it would be reasonable, I think, to assume that maybe there wouldn't be a significant response. But in spite of these things, the church grew. The church grew. How, how did that happen? A few brief reflections. Uh, at one level, God's sovereign. And he sits above all these factors. No matter the circumstances, God is ultimately God and he is at work in ways that none of us can fully comprehend and appreciate. Secondly, I think the fact that people had just witnessed an incredible miracle, a man who had been lame since the day he was born. Over 40 years, this man had been lame. So they just witnessed this incredible miracle that caught people's attention. And this taps into something in all of us, I think. Seeing God at work in tangible ways is actually incredibly important. It's actually incredibly important to see that God is at work in tangible and real life ways. We need to see that. We need to see God at work. These people saw God at work. They saw God at work and they responded. Just a couple more important factors that contributed to this response. The first factor that contributed to the response, I think, is in verse 13. The religious leaders noticed that these men, Peter and John, had been with Jesus. Peter and John had been with Jesus. This is a key thing. This, is, this makes all the difference. The fact that Peter and John had been with Jesus was something that clearly stood out to people, to those around them. Jesus showed his disciples how to follow him well. These guys knew how to follow Jesus well how to live, how to do life. He sent them out, he commissioned them. He taught them from scripture. He taught them how to understand the scriptures. He prayed with them and he taught them how to pray. And it was visible to those around them that they had been taught by Jesus. They shared something of Jesus's wisdom and insight. They spoke with the same kind of authority and boldness that Jesus himself spoke with. Jesus' influence was evident in the lives of Peter and John. And this made all the difference. Becoming like Jesus so that people can recognise him in us only happens when we spend time with Jesus. When we sit at his feet, when we spend time praying, when we spend time listening, spending time reading scripture and, and allowing him to speak to us, allow, allowing him to, to change and to transform us. Sitting, in, sitting at his feet in, in an attitude of worship and adoration, being with Jesus, 
being with Jesus. The disciples were easily identifiable as those who had been with Jesus. How awesome it would be if people looked at my life, looked at our lives and said, I can see that person has been with Jesus. The second factor that contributed to the response was that they had been filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, filling with the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts, it's not a one-off deal. It's not a one-off deal. It's not that the Spirit comes and takes up residence when you're born again, and that's kind of the end of it. Peter and John had been there on the day of Pentecost, and they were filled with the Spirit. And the tongues of fire came and sat on their heads, and they spoke in unknown languages. In Acts chapter 4, we've just read that before Peter responded to the religious authorities. He was filled with the Spirit. And in the latter part of Acts chapter four, Peter and John rush back to talk to their friends and tell them about what's just happened. This guy's been healed miraculously and all these people have come to know Jesus and we, we spent a night in jail and they're, they're, they're telling their friends about this story. And they start praying together. And we read in verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So three times, and there's more, the ongoing filling of the Spirit. So in Acts, we we can receive, it's clear, multiple fillings of the Spirit. It's not like he comes and goes, he comes and goes. He's constantly topping us up. And Paul picks up, on this, in his writings, in Ephesians 5.18, he talks about being continually filled with the Spirit. Now, when we're filled with the Spirit, we can, He can enable us to do things that perhaps we're not naturally otherwise good at. For Peter, he became incredibly bold, even though he had previously been a man who was overcome with fear. The Spirit might give us uncharacteristic levels of courage or the the ability to speak wise words into a situation. Or he might give us insight and help us to understand things that are are way beyond our capacity and our ability to understand. When the Spirit fills us, when he comes upon us, he comes with extraordinary gifts and enables and empowers us. His Spirit, his presence is an empowering presence. It's an empowering presence. Making disciples, it's something we need the Spirit to be intimately involved in. We need Him to guide us. We need Him to direct us into the right kind of conversations. Back to my friend that I met at the, evangel- the Emerging Evangelist Conference, she was prompted by the Spirit. At times she, she would share Jesus, at other times she wouldn't. At times she would pray for people, at other times she wouldn't. We need the Spirit's guidance in that process as, as, we, as we share with those within our own spheres of influence we need the Spirit's guidance in that process so we can have the right types of conversations at the right time and we need him to empower us and to enable us with boldness and courage the interesting thing about the Spirit and his coming in the book of Acts is that he often seems to come within the context of people praying When people are praying together in community, so pray. Pray alone, but pray with others. If you don't pray with somebody else, find somebody to pray with. 
Because if we hope to be a community that's continually filled with and revitalised and empowered by the Spirit, we need to be a community that prays with one another. As we wrap up today, I want you to be encouraged by this story in Acts chapter 4. It was a moment where the church started to experience opposition and persecution. And it became increasingly more intense. And yet many, many, many disciples were made. And the church flourished. The church flourished. The church flourished. And it grew and it became stronger. God used messy, imperfect people in the midst of messy and difficult and challenging circumstances to make disciples. None of us will get it right all of the time. But God uses us and works in spite of our own imperfection and our own messiness. We won't always put our best foot forward. I often put my wrong foot forward. And we won't always live in ways that are a shining example of what it means to be a Jesus follower. But God can still work in the midst of that because he is sovereign. He's good. Think about the imperfect people in Acts that we've just read about was that they were people who had been with Jesus. They were people who had been with Jesus. And they were people who had continually been filled with the Spirit. So be with Jesus. Be with Jesus and be filled. Be refreshed by his Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Acts. We thank you for Peter, a man that so many of us identify with. Thank you that you use messy people to make disciples in a messy world. I just pray, Father God, that you might use each one of us to make disciples in our spheres of influence amongst our family and friends and work colleagues. That you would use our messy lives to bring the gospel into into places, into the lives of people that we mix with on a daily basis. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you might come and fill us afresh, that you might fill these vessels afresh, that you might bring courage and boldness, that you might bring wisdom and knowledge. Whatever it is that that we need in our particular context, Holy Spirit, we just look to you. In Jesus' name, amen.